If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. It's right after the Corinthians, right before Ephesians in the New Testament. If you've got you version, you are welcome to go there. And we're in the events with the notes built in. If there's one trait that seems to draw frustration from every segment of society, it's hypocrisy. I think that in a, in a world that is divided, there is unity in that people don't like hypocrisy. Uh, even hypocrites don't like hypocrisy. No one likes hypocrisy, and no one wants to be one. Before we get into the text, let's define hypocrisy. And I, I think you could come up with some pretty good definitions, but I, here's a practical one here for you, is that hypocrisy is when your actions oppose or, or contradict your beliefs and or your expert expectations for others. So it's believing one thing and then doing or saying you believe one thing and then doing another or putting expectations on someone else and you doing something different. I think both of those are fairly basic ideas of hypocrisy. I think a couple examples would be believing you should eat healthy, but eating a steady diet of junk. I mean, that's, that's hip, hypocritical. Or telling someone to keep their car clean, but then your car looking like this. Some of you are like, how did he get a picture of my car? <laughs> now that we've defined hypocrisy, though, it's, most of you probably came in with some understanding of hypocrisy. You get it. You get the idea. Let's set another baseline. Everyone is a hypocrite. It's a pretty solid baseline. And you might be like, well, I'm not, I'm not practicing hypocrisy right now. Fair. But I think if we had a long enough conversation, we could find it in your life where you have. And I think if we waited long enough, we'll find it again. So we all struggle with this very common sin of hypocrisy. Everyone does hypocritical stuff from time to time. We're all sinners, and everyone's sin will at some point look like hypocrisy. But as Christians, we should be quick to reject hypocrisy. We should root it out wherever we find it in our lives and in our church and say, no, we want to be genuine. We want to be sincere. We want to be like Christ. And that is because hypocrisy is a sin. It's a rejection of God. And sadly here, I know that uh, the church, and I'll, I mean, I think that's capital C. Everyone, uh, you, you've probably heard someone say, I, I don't like the church because it's full of hypocrites. Uh, you, you might have met someone who, that's their opinion of Christians, is that Christians are hypocrites. And when we fall into a work-based religion, this is highly likely. So it's highly likely that people have known and been hurt by hypocritical Christians because it's so easy for Christians to fall into a work-based salvation, that we believe that Jesus loves us because of the work we do. We believe that we are saved because of the work we do. So probably it's not a bad accusation. It's not a false accusation most of the time. But the grace of God's gospel crushes the temptation of hypocrisy. In my mind, I'm visualizing the Acme anvil falling on Wile E. Coyote. Like, it's like, it it just wipes it out, knocks it out, crushes it into the ground because the gospel puts us in right position to be able to root out sin like hypocrisy. The gospel is the only true answer for hypocrisy. 
It's the humility of knowing our sin and the gratefulness of knowing our salvation. Only goodness is because the one who is good dwells in us. So I'm going to make a bold claim that I believe is biblical here, that only Christians can truly reject hypocrisy. If you're not a Christian, give me a chance to explain, because you might, that might immediately, what do you mean? My claim isn't that Christians aren't hypocrites. We are, often, we're establishing that. But so is everyone else. And the only hope of breaking the curse of hypocrisy is the gospel, as is the only hope of breaking through every sin. Let's look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to read together through verse 16 and then come back through those verses. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. This is what God's Word says. But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul speaking here. This is him writing. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because works of the law, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. If I can give you a main idea coming into this text. It's that Paul's gospel message came from God, not from men. If we're establishing what's the context, again, the context here is that Paul is trying to convince the Galatians, he's trying to reason with the Galatians, that the gospel message he brought to them is the true gospel message, that those who are following up behind Paul and teaching them that, no, salvation comes through works, not just by faith, that Paul's saying that's a false gospel. Paul's saying, I came to you saying salvation can only come through faith, and the message I bring to you is the message from God. Paul's established that he's an apostle. He's established that his message is from God. And so here he's giving, again, more biography of why he is believable, why he should be trusted by the Galatians. So the main idea in this text, where, where we're coming from in this text, is that Paul's gospel message came from God, not from men. And here's how he is establishing it. He's saying, look, I, I've been to the apostles, and they affirmed the message. They said, yeah, Paul, we agree with you. Go, go share the gospel with the Gentiles. And he's kind of saying, look, look, in fact, the apostles approved my message, but then, hey, while others were kind of steering wrong and, and presenting a hypocritical message of the gospel, I was still staying faithful. Like, my message is from God. That's, that's what he's trying to convince the Galatians of here in verses 11 through 14, and then also in 15 and 16. So he's building credibility. So if we look back at verses 11 through 13, we're going to see that hypocrisy comes from wrong priorities. He's saying, look, while Peter was being hypocritical, we, we were able to be 
founded, rooted in love, in the faith, because we recognize that our faith is only through Christ, not in works. And the works that Peter was proclaiming here was causing hypocrisy. So hypocrisy comes from wrong priorities. We're going to see that from verses 11 through 13. Hypocrisy comes from wrong priorities. Let's actually go back and read just those first three verses here, verses 11 through 13. But when Cephas, that's just the Greek name for Peter, so when, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Pretty strong words. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Peter's sin was obvious. Peter, what he was doing was wrong. And so obvious that Paul here says he stood condemned. Like, he comes up and he's standing there. He's in his own right. He is condemned. And what Peter, uh, what Paul is displaying is brotherly accountability. He's coming to this brother in the faith, and he's saying, look, you're wrong. You, you and your own self are condemned. I don't have to condemn you. You're standing there condemned because of what you're doing. Your actions are condemning you. Your own spirit should be condemning you. He's saying, you're wrong, and you need to repent. So Paul starts by defining Peter's hypocrisy. And what is Peter doing that is hypocritical here? He's changing how he's acting depending on who he's around. So he said, before certain men came from James, what, what, was, what was Peter doing? He was eating with the Gentiles. But now that they came back, Peter's acting scared of those guys. He's, he's separating again from the men who he was fellowshipping with. So now he separates himself. So he defines it. Here's what you're doing. Here's the hypocrisy. You're changing based on who you're around. And then he says, what's motivating that hypocrisy? And what's motivating Peter's hypocrisy here is fear of man, fear of the circumcision party. And this is a really common fear for us. This is one that we, it translates well for us. We recognize and we get fear of man and that it alters what we know we should be doing and what we want to do as we follow after Christ. So we know uh, that, that what he's talking about with the circumcision party is that there are some Jews who say you have to follow the law, you have to follow the Jewish law in order to be saved. For Christ to save you, you have to do these things, so you need to be circumcised. But even with the eating practices, there were harsher codes within eating. So Gentiles ate different things and differently than the Jews did. Paul's, Paul's saying, look, Peter, you were even eating like a Gentile here. You're eating with the Gentiles and now when, when the circumcision party comes back, when this party of the law, of salvation through the law comes back, you change. You're, you're afraid of men. Your hypocrisy is coming because of your priority on pleasing men. Because you're so afraid of what they might think of you, because of what you place as importance and what they'll think of you, you're sinning. You're, you're doing wrong here. I, I love what Jesus says about who we should fear. In Matthew 10, 28, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a pretty strong passage, pretty strong verse on where our priorities should be. Who are you aiming to honor? Who, who is your priority? And how often do we bow to the relational threats of people around us? We sacrifice our integrity and our sincerity for cheap approval. Man, if you're, if you're in elementary school or middle school or high school right now, that is so hard. 
But if you're in college or you're working in a job, that is so hard. Like, I don't know, maybe we think sometimes we grow out of it, that peer pressure stops. But be honest, like, does it stop? I mean, we always want to please the people who are around us. I mean, how much do we do because of who is in proximity around us? We don't want to be judged as the, as the lame guy. <laughs> we sacrifice things for cheap approval. In an effort to please, we become hypocrites. And it really comes back to an issue of priorities. Jesus taught that we should fear our righteous God rather than people that we endure temporary displeasure for an eternal treasure. Have you ever thought about hypocrisy as that trade-off? <laughs> that sometimes when we do and act outside of what we say and say we believe, that we're trading eternal treasure for just being able to escape temporary displeasure? Peter was being hypocritical here, and Paul was calling him out, like, what are you doing? A danger of hypocrisy, and especially for Peter here, was that hypocrisy is contagious. To be able to say one thing, to be able to hold this ground of, I, I am a believer who follows Christ, and I also like to do whatever I want. I like to please people. I like to please Christ and please people. To hold that hypocritical position is going to bring others with you. I mean, look at the text. The rest acted hypocritically along with him. Do you remember last week, if you look back in your text, Paul, when he was coming to the Jerusalem, he brought people along with him to disciple him? It's interesting that we're going to disciple people whether we like it or not. What was Peter bringing people along with here? Peter was bringing people along with him into hypocrisy. He was bringing people along with him into sin. It's contagious. So it's contagious from us. We need to be careful with our hypocrisy so that we don't lead others astray. But it's also contagious to us that we're not led astray by others because it looks easy, because it looks simple. I mean, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas was being poured into by Paul. You can imagine the hurt of Paul saying, like, Barnabas. It's like the E2 fruit. Brutus? Brute? Anyway, you know, you know where I'm going. You too, Barnabas? I think about why is it contagious? Why is hypocrisy contagious? It's because in discipleship, and this is true in so many areas, but more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. We can say things all day long, but how are we living? We're going to live like the people we're following are living. It's, it's very difficult. You'll find that leadership goes as far as practice. And so Peter is practicing. He might be saying something, but here he's living out a false gospel. He'd already affirmed Paul's true gospel, and now he's living underneath the weight of the law here, and he's bringing other people along with him. It's because it's, it's caught. It's not just taught. It's caught. The other is that it's easy. Hypocrisy is easy. It's way easier to sin than it is to be righteous. That's why we see so many calls to endurance and perseverance. But here in this text as well, there's a bandwagon effect. People like to do what other people are doing. Isn't, isn't that true? Like, Don't you find that? Have you ever been in a line at a store and 
like you're not sure which line to go in, but like two or three people go over here, you're like, well, I guess this is safe because people have done it. You can find other examples of that, but like waiting in traffic, do you pull out and go in the empty lane or is there something up there? Well, if other cars are doing it, I can do it. There's a bandwagon effect to so much of what we do, and that's also true of sin. When, when Peter was thinking through, what are my priorities? He was prioritizing, what, what are other people doing? And that isn't just rejecting God. Sometimes it can be couched more deceptively than that. You start thinking, am I right? Maybe I'm wrong about this. If everyone else is doing this, if everyone else is in this lane, and I'm here, maybe I'm the wrong one. Don't we? Can't you imagine Peter struggling with that? Like, all these people who I've known and respect are saying it should be this way, that, I, that, we, should, that we should ask for circumcision, that we shouldn't eat food freely. Maybe I'm wrong. The bandwagon effect is difficult to resist. Ultimately, Peter's priorities were misplaced. So were the other Jews and Barnabas. They let the fear of man supplant the fear of God. The awe and respect they were giving to the wrong, to the wrong people, to the wrong person. So how can you keep your priorities right? How, how, do, we, how do we withstand the hypocrisy from around us? How do we withstand that from inside of us? Well, you spend time with your great love. You spend time pursuing the object of your affection. How do we do that? I mean, we talk about spiritual disciplines a lot. So, I mean, starting, great starting places are Bible reading and prayer. Like, go deeper with journaling, even a little bit. But we're spending time. We're fellowshipping with God. If we're not fellowshipping with God, if we're never enjoying His presence then his opinion will matter less and less and less to us. Think about whose opinion matters to you. It's the people who you're around. Look, if, if you, eight years ago, I didn't care about Star Wars. But I was in a life group where, like, my whole life group did. I've watched, like, all the movies and all the TV shows at this point, and I love it. Because that's who I was around. Like, I, I, it, their opinions mattered to me. So, if we're giving ourselves to fellowship with God, doesn't it make sense that how he views us matters more to us? And the less time we spend with him, the less his view of us matters to us. We need to be dwelling with Christ, spending time in his courts. And he has given us, he's given us simple ways to do that. He's given us his word and he's given us prayer. So we pursue him together. If you aren't fellowshipping with God through Bible reading and prayer, you'll end up being more comfortable with your disobedience, like Peter was, and you're going to drag others along with you. Let's look at verse 14 together. Verse 14 says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He's given us a little bit of a tongue twister there. It's always nice. And what we see is that hypocrisy comes from belie- believing lies. Paul saw that what they were doing was not in step with the truth of the gospel. They had believed lies. So Paul here is confronting the hypocrisy. So he saw it. He said, hey, look, you're standing condemned. Now he's going to them. When I saw that that conduct was not in step... I said to him, before them all, he's like, how can you force, 
how can you force people to do something that, that you won't do? Like, you're living one way, and you're calling them to live another way. And here, what we see, the example, was a public confrontation for a public wrong from a public figure. This is a very public thing happening. Most confrontation over sin shouldn't be in this example, and we see that example of private confrontation way more often. What, here, what we see here was public sin that was drawing others into public sin. So there is a place for this. But where we can so very often think that we should be angry and flip tables over because there's a verse about Jesus doing that, and we take it out of context a lot, we can also take this and be like, well, we should call everybody out in front of everybody because it happened here. Like The overarching theme of what brotherly accountability looks like is doing things in private. Matthew 18 teaches us this process. There is a public process in this if there's not repentance, but how did it start? Matthew 18, 15 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. There's your example to follow. If you see someone in sin, go to them in private. Here, Paul has the authority of the apostle. He has the platform of two apostles with competing things. Peter is leading others astray. So he does this public step right here, and he's confronting him saying, look, your conduct is not in step with the truth. He's saying, Peter, you're believing lies. And this is the essence of all sin. Isn't the essence of all sin believing lies? If we could see the truth perfectly, we would reject sin. But we live in in the cloudiness of our sin. We, we We see a lot of times partial truths which partial truth is oftentimes just a lie. But the power of a lie is that it can convince us to reject God and God's plan. So you are either in step with the truth or you are in step with lies. It's not a middle ground. There's no fence to ride there. You're either in step with truth or you're in step with lies. When we believe lies, it forces us into a contradiction. A lie always contradicts reality. A lie always contradicts the truth. So our life, if we're believing and acting on lies, if our, if our behavior, if our conduct is based on lies, then we will be in a contradiction. We will be acting hypocritically. But it is difficult. It is difficult to stay within our lies. So we're going to be found out in our contradictions. I mean, think about times when you may have started a lie And the process of keeping that lie alive is so hard. The truth is usually an easier thing, always. It's always easier because you don't have to keep up with your stories. So the contradictions will eventually find them. Contradictions will ultimately be found out, even if not by the people around you. God knows. But here Peter believed the lie that he was important on his own. The, The lie from Peter is... We could find several. Here, let's point out his arrogance. There's, there is arrogance here from Peter. That his reputation among other men mattered more than his reputation in front of God. That it's about me. Isn't that how we fall into the, the wrong priorities? It's a, because I'm the center here then it's okay for me to do these things. That's a lie. That's a lie that we believe often. The lie he believed was that he deserved to be in the good graces of the influential in his community. 
So he treated the Gentiles differently than he treated the Jews. And he treated the Gentiles differently than he treated them when he was in the presence of the Jews. Jesus was really clear about being fake for the sake of praise from others. He said, don't do it. And this is how he said, don't do it. Matthew 6. We'll be here for a few verses if you want to flip over to Matthew 6. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be in Matthew a little bit. Back and forth. Matthew 6. Jesus is talking about this type of hypocrisy. This type of doing things to be seen. Doing things for the sake of praise from others. Matthew 6, verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What were the Pharisees? They were believing a lie here that the reward of being seen was better than the reward from the Father. They thought, if I can be seen even for a moment, if the trumpets will sound and people will praise me, that's a good thing. And Jesus is saying, no, you're, you're missing. <laughs> the truth is that the reward from the Father is so much better. They believed a lie. The lies that we might desire, the wrong reward. But here's the truth. If you could see it clearly, if I could see it clearly, what Scripture teaches us clearly is that we want the reward from our Father, and we should want it. We want His presence and His joy and His life and His peace and His goodness and His kindness. We want His presence. That's the reward we want. The reward that comes from man is death, though it's usually well disguised. Here, what were the Pharisees receiving? They weren't receiving death instantaneously. They were receiving a pat on the back, clap of hands from the crowd. But ultimately what that led them to was away from Christ and into their own lordship of their own lives and to death. The reward that comes from man is death. And this is the truth. What is the truth of the gospel? If we're searching for people's praise, if that's the goal of our life, we will be hypocrites. Because there will be contradictions. We can't help them. So the question is, what grounds you? What is truth? If you don't have a source of truth, then you won't have a consistent answer or definition of what is truth. Paul reminded Peter, you have been acting like Gentiles who are far from God. You claim to have spiritual pedigree. You claim to be a bona fide child of God, but you act godless. Go back to the truth. Stop rejecting the truth of the gospel. Peter believed the lies. He needed Paul's correction. He needed to be pointed back to the truth of the gospel. And this is the call for every believer. The call for every believer every day is go back to the truth of the gospel. 
Be in step with the truth of the gospel. We're going to see later in Galatians the call for us is to be in step with the Spirit. There is a very real connection to being in the will of God and being in step with the truth of the gospel. Can you interrogate your life right now and say you are in step with the truth of the gospel? If you consider your life, things that I can't know about you, you haven't shared with me, and maybe your spouse doesn't know about you, or maybe your roommates don't know about you, or maybe the people you go to church with don't know about you. I I don't know where your secrets are. But in what is in the light and what is in the dark, does your life, is your life in step with the truth of the gospel? Do you need this correction from Paul today? But what is the truth of the gospel? Simply, it's that salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. Verse 15 and 16 get us there. Teach us this. Verse 15 is almost like Paul throwing Peter a bone. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Okay, right. Like, we are born into this Jewish pedigree. We are not like those sinners, Peter. Yes, sure. But here's what he's getting at is that really that doesn't matter. We're going to see that in verse 16. Really that doesn't matter. Your birthright doesn't matter. Your ethnicity doesn't count towards your salvation. Your works don't count towards your salvation. So verse 16 is really great news that we all come in on this flat footing of need for Christ. And here is the yet. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So even us in this great blessed place of being born into to this lineage of Christ, even though we're in this great place, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. How many times does Paul here say kind of the same thing? Over and over and over, and we're going to see, we're going to keep seeing this. This is, again, we're going to, this is kind of a theme that we're going to carry out through the rest of Galatians, that you are not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is pointing at Peter and saying, look, you forgot it. You forgot the gospel. Here it is. So hypocrisy comes, an example we see out of this text is that hypocrisy comes from forgetting the gospel. And what a beautiful gospel it is. What a beautiful gospel verse 16 is. A person cannot be justified by the law. By justified, what do we mean? We mean righteousness before God. What do we mean by righteousness before God? We mean that you can be there and when God looks at you and judges you, he says, you're good to go. No charges, no guilt, no shame. I accept you. That's what the justified means, that God is accepting us. When we are justified, we are redeemed from our sin. The law only demonstrates our need to be justified. The law only demonstrates our need for someone who can keep the law. Because what the law shows us is that we can't do it. We're going to fail. We're going to mess up. We are going to fall. And even if you don't have the Old Testament law proclaiming that in you, you have the law written on your heart proclaiming that to you, that you are not good enough that you cannot earn your salvation, that you know that you have sin. So a person can only be justified, saved by faith in Jesus Christ. 
He kept the law perfectly on our behalf. Jesus did that. Jesus kept the law perfectly on our behalf. On our behalf. What we could not do, he did. And then he died to take our punishment on himself. He not only took our punishment, but he also gave us his righteousness. Think about that. He, he lived a perfect, righteous life. And in dying for our sins, he, he gave to us what we could not have on our own. So he not only took our punishment, we talk about that a lot, right? Isn't it great that we could be forgiven our sins, that he would take our punishment? But then he also gives us something that we could not have on our own. He gives us his righteousness. That's what comes through faith. It's, it's the righteousness of Christ that comes through faith. Then he rose again. So he lived a life we couldn't live. He died a death that we deserved, and then he rose again. Why did he rise again? He rose again so that we could rise as well. Like, we're not saved to live forever. I mean, we're not, sa- we're not saved to be forever rotting in the ground. We're saved to live forever with Christ, with our Savior, fellowshipping with Him in His courts every day forever. That's made possible by His resurrection. It's made possible by His life, His death, and His resurrection. And do you know what you bring to that table? Do you know what you bring to this equation? You bring your sin. You bring nothing else. So when you look at this, it is only by faith. It is only by faith that we could be saved. The truth of the gospel is that it is only Jesus. It is only by faith. It's only by his grace. It's hard to put ourselves on a pedestal in this mindset. It's hard to lift ourselves up in arrogance and believe we deserve things from others in this mindset. This is a humble mindset. We must approach others with humility when we recognize our deep need. The arrogance of Peter to put himself above the Gentiles and say, I'm going to be in this crowd, wasn't a gospel position. The gospel position is that I am a sinner as well, and I am no better. We had to have a Savior who could provide righteousness, who could provide forgiveness, who could provide resurrection. Jesus did that for us, and then he does this. Then he commands that we have faith. He doesn't just ask that we have faith. He commands it. With eternity on the line, he commands it. Have faith. Believe in me. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Church, what we're gathered around today, the reason that we are a body, the reason that we have fellowship with each other is because Jesus gave fellowship to us, that we could be with him. If you're not a Christian, you can be saved today by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, you can be saved today. If you are a Christian, this gospel is the cure for hypocrisy. Are you going to get it right today? No, but you're going to be a sinner the rest of your life. But this gospel is the cure for hypocrisy. There will be a day where the redemption and the justification is finished, that you will be glorified with Christ, that you will lay aside hypocrisy, that you will lay aside sin, and that you will be with Jesus forever. This gospel, Christians, aligns our priorities. When we look at the world through the love of Christ, when we look at the world through his sacrifice for us so that we could be with him, it aligns our priorities. It is the truth. We will be in step with the truth when we remember this gospel, this cure for hypocrisy, and it humbles our arrogant hearts. 
Paul confronted Peter because his snubbing of the Gentiles was really a snubbing of the gospel. He was essentially saying that faith in Christ alone wasn't enough for salvation. He was embracing an arrogance that rejected the gift of Christ and elevated his own work, and it created in him a hypocritical spirit. That's what we see in verses 11 through 16. Peter was treating others with contempt as he claimed the kindness of Christ. How often can this describe us? You might not see it as contempt, but if our fellowship is always closed and never open, never drawing, then we're treating others with contempt. Peter was treating others with contempt as he claimed the kindness of Christ. The only hope of breaking the curse of hypocrisy is the gospel. As we close, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Just a few pages back, if you're in the paper copy with me. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. This is what God's Word says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. The gospel message came from God this What we just read came from God, not from men. It is trustworthy. It deserves your proclamation and your receiving of it. Turn to Christ today. Reject your sin. Reject your hypocrisy. Embrace your Savior. Call on Him. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider our sin. I'm not sure there's any sin in the Christian life that isn't some measure of hypocrisy. God, I pray that we would see ourselves with the right humility to understand that we are imperfect, that we could receive correction, that we would be eager for your help in searching our hearts and knowing where we're wrong. God, I pray that While our culture may see the church as a gathering of hypocrites, which is true, God, that we would be humble enough to admit it, that we would be humble enough to turn back towards you and embrace the goodness of your gospel, to embrace your goodness. But God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful, that we would endure and persevere, that we would put on the armor that you have provided to us, that we would live 
a life of holiness, that we would live a life of righteousness, that we would not live lives that excuse sin and dwell in sin, but God, that we would live lives that dwell in you, that pursue you, that love you. God, thank you for your gospel, that you saw us while we were still sinners, and you loved us. You loved us enough to come for us, to die for us, and to rise again, and God, to come again. God, thank you for the promise of our eternity with you. We trust you, and we pray this in your holy name. Amen.